If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now. On 882 6PR, inspiring stories for Barra and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments, because the little things are everything. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories, brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments, because the little things are everything. In the next hour or so, we're going to learn a lot more about uh, a sport that we don't hear a great deal about, uh, typically. Uh, unless you're one of those people that is in that world. Uh, the sport is figure skating. Uh, and my guest uh, is a WA lady, born and bred, uh, who competed uh, on the world stage in the sport of figure skating. But she's also something of a black sheep in her family because uh, she's the only one who has pursued this sport uh, with um, with any kind of uh, passion or foresight. The rest of her family are all uh, outstanding sports people in their own right, but in a much different sport. Uh, so that's a pretty cryptic in- introduction there. I'm going to say hello now to Jamie Nobbs. Hello, Jamie. Thanks for coming in. Hi. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Um, we'll get into your uh, incredibly high-achieving family in just a moment, but I have to ask, uh, in a family, an extended family of champion hockey players, why figure skating? The hand-eye coordination skipped a gene with me. <laughs> that's the simple way to put it. Really? I, yeah. Well, I mean, part of it is... I, yeah, I'm not the most coordinated person. Um, which you'd, is, you'd still need to be incredibly coordinated in your own way, though, wouldn't you, to be a, you would. a figure skater? Exactly right. You're in like a quarter of an inch blade. Um, yeah. And in that sort of position with jumps, you need some sort of coordination. But hockey was not that. Um, that, I, I worked out I needed glasses in about year eight, so I probably couldn't even see the ball, which probably <laughs> didn't help. Um, no, that's not going to help you. Yeah, but basically the hockey kind of skipped the gene for me, so I'm definitely the black sheep in the family of all my cousins, all my aunties and uncles, grandparents are all hockey players. So, Are you shunned by the family? I think they've accepted it after 20 years in the sport. They've gone, okay, she's kind of sticking with this one. So it's accepted. Uh, second kind of obvious question, you're pretty young. You're 25. Is that a pretty normal age for a figure skater to retire? That's old. That's old, is <laughs> it? Is that right? So it's a bit like gymnastics, is it? Yeah. yeah. Um, figure skating probably has a bit longer shelf life than gymnastics. Um, ideally, you want to get into the sport at four or five. Basically, four or five. yeah, the body kind of gives out at about in the 20s. If you're in late 20s, there is a couple Olympians that have made it through, but that's their life. It's, yeah... Yeah, eat, sleep, they're, the, they're the freaks. They're the, mm. yeah, that's it. Mm. And my body gave out. So I was like, all right, I actually stopped at competing internationally at 21. Mm. And that was purely because I could go probably 10 minutes in a session and then it would take me two, three days to recover. Is that right? And what was my feet that gave out? So walk again. So, yeah. yeah. I, I'm fascinated by the, the intense world that it must be 
in figure skating. And I'm, I'm sorry to say that I'm mostly informed by uh, the film Blades of Glory, which may or may not be any <laughs> relation to it's completely what the real accurate. World, it's, it's like a documentary. That's it. Good to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we'll get into that in a little while. But uh, tell me about your, uh, your family because, as I mentioned, incredibly high-achieving sports people, hockey being the chosen sport. Uh, Mum and Dad both competed uh, at Olympic Games for Australia in the 80s. Uh, and I know your sister is also a hockey-roo. Um, that probably just a, comes as completely normal to you, though, right, growing up in a family of high achievers like that. But can you give us some, you know, just try for, for a minute that you grew up in a family that's not like that, like me. What is that like? I think the Olympic was kind of just the normal. Yeah. Like going to an Olympics was just something that was done. It just came family. around every four years. Yeah, it was like just... Like a leap year. That's it. That's it. It just happened. You you went, you went to it. Um, but no, I'm, I'm very lucky. My mum went to the 1988 uh, Seoul Olympics and yep. they won gold there. Um, she was with my auntie as well. So that's Lee Capes and Michelle Hager. Um, and my dad went to the 1984 Los Angeles Olympics and he placed fourth. So... Didn't podium, but that's that's okay. Um, <laughs> you don't love him any less for it. <laughs> no, I've, I forgive him for that one. But no, I've having two Olympic parents, it was kind of just the Olympics was normal. Um, and I think it was a really good grounding. A lot of athletes, probably shouldn't say a lot, that's a generalisation, but athletes can have parents that kind of try to live their dreams through their kids sometimes mm. in sport. And I think for my parents, it was quite the opposite. They'd gone and done everything, and so they knew... Basically, you need an education. You need that backup after the sport. I had a really good grounding and I learned to deal with stress and all of that mm. very quickly and from a young age. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, now my sister is part of the Hockey Brews team. They were looking to go to Tokyo this year. Um, but, yeah, hopefully next year. One or two things got in the way of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a couple things, yeah. Now, just uh, if my math serves me well, and I think I'm right here, you would have been um, born sometime after their olympic uh time had, had had come to it and certainly your dad i imagine given that he competed in 84. 84 when did you become aware as a child of their olympic pedigree i still get told off for it today i <laughs> i don't think i realized how good they were so yeah. i um i i speak to hockey players now and most people in the hockey community know my parents um and to me it's i don't know they're just mum and dad so yeah. i don't think i've really taken in completely how good they are as players and how yeah mm. much they've achieved so yeah i probably still get told off for that i don't think i've really worked that one out yet it's part of the black sheep role that you play exactly <laughs> ignorance and hockey yeah yeah um but you must have grown up in that i mean perth is such a, a hub for hockey i mean particularly then yep. um you must have grown up in that bubble though i did I, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you know hockey on the weekend training during the week um, you're hanging out with other people who might be old teammates of your mum and dad. Um, it's just in your blood. It's in the air that you breathe. Yeah. it's. Um, we've still got a lot of family friends that are involved in the sport. I still go down and see my sister. I was there on the weekend. Yeah. Um, mum was still playing state hockey, I think, when I got into skating. And my coach has actually sat her down because it clashed with one of her hockey sessions. And they were like, no, you need to stop. Your career is finished. You need to now give her... <laughs> get her to the ice rink every day twice a day this is her time so yeah yeah it um that's kind of when mum stepped away from the sport yeah was yeah <laughs> she um i think our our sessions clashed but yeah. at that point mum was 
yeah, in her thirties or going into her forties. So yeah, yeah, yeah. She finally stepped away from hockey, but there must have been an expectation though that you would. I mean, just by virtue of the the, the gene pool that you found yourself born into, uh, that you would also be a, a star hockey player. Do you remember picking a hockey stick up as a kid? I never picked it up. It, it just didn't come to you. They joke that I picked the hockey stick up the wrong way. <laughs> so, yeah, it wasn't, I don't know. I tried gymnastics. I tried tennis. I tried all sorts of sports. And just none of them grabbed me. Yeah. Like, it was fun. But, yeah, hockey was just, they never put pressure on me to actually play hockey. Yeah. Um, I mean, if they did, I probably would have been woeful. And everyone would have been like, oh, that kid came out of those two. That's that's not okay. <laughs> Something's going on here. Yeah. But, yeah, they never pressured me to actually play hockey, which mm. was probably a blessing for me. What about your sister, though? Did she get stuck into you? Given she, that you didn't, you were out of the, the family unit, you were the odd one out? No. I think it was actually quite good, us going into different sports. She was actually quite a good figure skater. Oh, so right. mum used to bring her down to the ring as like a three or four-year-old. Um, and yeah, she used to get on the ice and she used to just whiz around and just have a good time. Mm. She actually liked skating because at that time when you compete, they used to throw out roses onto the ice and sometimes chocolates and little presents. Mm. So she used to rock up three or four weeks before a competition, make up a program, get a nice pretty outfit on, do her program. And she would be there purely for the presents at the end. So Mm. yeah, that was, that was why. She liked figure skating, but she mm. was actually a little whiz. She tried out for ice hockey and they were just so impressed with her hockey skills um, on the ice as well. She had the coordination for both, right. but yeah, hockey is definitely her calling. She's very good, but yeah, yeah she hasn't really pressured me into picking up a hockey stick yeah. either. Happy to have your separation there. Yeah. <laughs> um, growing up though in a, in a home where you, you know, mum and dad are obviously clearly very gifted and very talented and, you know, Mum's got an Olympic gold medal. Um, that must have in some way been a driving force for you, though, wanting to pursue a sport to the highest level. Definitely. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I mean, it was it was my dream to go to an Olympics. It was definitely seeing them having the Olympic gold medal in our house, yeah. having just like the Olympic torch and seeing her uniforms and everything was mm. huge. Um, and we didn't... We didn't really talk about it at home, like the fact that they had gone, but it just meant any time there were questions or I was trying to struggle through something in sport, they were there with really good advice. So mm. I knew that I knew that anything mum was saying, I had to take it because she had been there. She had gone and won Olympic gold. So I couldn't mm. tell her she didn't know what she was talking about because yeah. she knew exactly what she was talking about. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That gold medal, is it, uh, is it, in, in pride of place on the mantelpiece at home or is it stuffed away in a drawer? Yep. Second. In it's the drawer. The yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's, Did you ever get it out as a kid and just sort of gaze at it? I think it came to a show and tell at primary school because who wouldn't want to try and that's a show pretty, that? That's a pretty cool thing to bring to school. It was. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think it's it's come out maybe once or twice I've seen it, but yeah, it's yeah. not really show sitting on the mantelpiece. They're not those those sorts of people. No, no. Um, between mum and dad, they've got quite a few medals. I can imagine. So that yeah. kind of all just sits away. Yeah, just occupies its space in the house and That's there it is. It. Um, we need to take a break, Jamie, but after that, I really want to ask you uh, more about why figure skating. If not hockey, why figure skating? So we'll get into that right after we take a break. This is Inspiring Stories. Jamie Nobbs is our special guest. We'll be back with more in a moment. 
You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Jamie Nobbs is our special guest. Now, Jamie, we have, I think, well established the fact that you are the odd one out in your family. But now, I'll ask again, why figure skating? I mean, of all, if you're going to, you know, step away from the, the family tradition of all the other sports from A to Z, figure skating, why? I just decided to pick the most polar opposite sport to yep. hockey. No, um, <laughs> I just really liked going fast. I know that sounds ridiculous, but you can get up some serious speed on ice skates. Why not Why not cycling then? The other aspect of it is the jumping. So right. you can go full hell for leather into a jump, take off, do two, three rotations in the air, and then land backwards on a blade. Something about that was just exhilarating, probably crazy. <laughs> Terrified to most people, but yeah, yeah. sure, why not? <laughs> it, was, it was just the speed you felt like you could fly yeah. as well. You could just, yeah, like I said, go hell for leather into a jump and just take off. And yeah. Yeah. So how old were you when you first got the, the skates on and hit the ice? I was five. So my mum Late was... Late starter then. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. I think four is the prime for a figure skater. You see athletes go in at older ages and it's... I don't know why it's such a young age, but I think it's just to build up that confidence. Mm. Um, four and five-year-olds tend to have no fear when yep. it comes to falling over, getting back up, trying new things. There's just no fear. Um and I think that's probably why the prime mm. age is, yeah, so young. Mm. Memories from that age are often a bit a bit hazy and a bit fuzzy. But what do you remember from being a five-year-old and getting out on the ice? So for me, it was I got straight on and just yep. took off. And mum yep. couldn't get me off the ice. But I, I actually, mum was a phys ed teacher. Yeah. And I had a pupil-free day at school. And she had to go take her class to archery. And mum knew that she was having to take me along and she was like, no, that kid has no spatial awareness. I'm not <laughs> taking her to archery. <laughs> so put an arrow in her hands. <laughs> no, God, or let her loose on the field. Absolutely yeah. not. But yeah, so she actually swapped sports to figure skating that day. Um, took me along and just kind of chucked me out on the ice with the rest of the school kids that were year 12. Yeah. Um, so I stood out just purely because I was tiny, running mm. around on the ice. And the owner of the ice rink actually walked in, so Tom Barrett, and he walked up to mum and was like, who's the kid on the ice? And mum was like, oh, that's my daughter. I'm sorry. I just kind of chucked her on with the school kids. I didn't pay separately for her. Sorry. And he's like, no, I um, I think she should meet our Russian coaches. We've just had two come out from Russia. Um, she needs to start learning with them. As a five-year-old? As a five-year-old, he picked me out. Um and yeah, the rest is kind of history. Yeah. Having said that, let's go through it. <laughs> How does a five-year-old suddenly end up in the, the hands of two Russian coaches? Obviously, you've been identified for being a, a whiz on the ice. But, I mean, that's a that's a very, very bizarre world for a five-year-old to be thrust into, isn't it? It is. I loved it. Um, yeah. I think we started training most afternoons and then it built up to twice a day, every day, plus on and off the ice sessions and ballet and strength and recovery um it just built up quite quickly so yeah. even in primary school i was training morning and afternoon um so what while kids are having play dates after school and playing hide and seek and chasing and whatever else you're off doing 
strength training with your two Russian coaches. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I liked the structure as well. It was very, like, you had to be very focused, very determined. Um, and it meant I could, like, eat, sleep, breathe yeah. ice skating, which is exactly what I wanted mm. to do as a five-year-old. Olympics at that point wasn't really, like, that's what I want to do mm. because... I just wasn't really thinking of that. I just wanted to go out and skate. So, yeah, yeah. You mentioned before you like the you like the structure of it. You also like going fast and being able to jump and twirl around in the air and land on a blade and all that. Um, what about the other aspects of the sport? You know, you've got to appear to be immaculate. You know, there's this strive for perfection all the time. Um, everything's so choreographed and and all. Of, did that did that side of it appeal to you as well straight away? I think I got that from my parents. There's yeah. not much elegance. I think I had a hockey player's elegance <laughs> in me, really. <laughs> um, yeah, it's. I guess you could look at it like a swan. So yeah. above the surface, it looks graceful and elegant. And then below the surface, you're just paddling like crazy. Um, that's the same with skating. You fall over 100 times in a session. You uh, can barely breathe. You're just struggling through your program. Mm. But you're wearing a gorgeous costume. You've got beautiful arms. You're smiling. You fall, you smile, you get up, you smile. Like it just, it appears very graceful, mm. but that's kind of all trained into you to, yeah. to do it. To give that outward appearance. Yeah. But inside you, it's, it's taking everything you've got. I think it's one of the only sports where they expect you to look like you're having a good time when you're absolutely <laughs> suffering. Yeah. So. Um, I, I'm again, forgive me if I'm uh, just making wild assumptions here, but the, the world of, of figure skating, particularly as a, as a kid, when there's just be, child protégés all over the world just clawing at each other, trying to get to the top. I imagine that would be so intense. Yes, it is. Uh, it's cutthroat. It's yeah. um, not literally, <laughs> I don't think. I haven't heard any cases Can't of talk it. about that right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's it's absolutely crazy. So yeah. with most competitions, Australia especially can only qualify one or has only qualified one in the past. Uh, so whether that's going to an international competition at a junior level, right through to the Olympics, they have one person. Yeah. So a lot of the national squads as well only pick first, maybe second if they see potential um, back in my day. But yeah, it's it's basically one person gets to go. Everyone's clawing mm. through, trying to get to that one spot. So. Yeah. What are, you, what are your memories of being still a very young kid and going to these tournaments and just seeing just how crazy it is? Because I, I, would I be right in thinking, you know, the, the the mums and dads in the sport too, they fuel a lot of that intensity. There's a lot of, as you said before, maybe living their dreams through the <laughs> through the kids. Yeah, I think a, a little bit of it is like living vicariously through their kids. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the parents, everyone gets involved. It's such a, I mean, it's an expensive sport. Yeah. You're paying for the ice time, the boots. The boots, like the blades to get sharpened, you're paying for the coach's time, you're paying memberships to the club. There's so many costs involved. The parents are invested because a lot of the time they have put so much into mm. it, um, which is really hard then if the kid's not inv as invested. Um, so you do see a little bit of that clash. But yeah, I guess all the parents just want what's best for their kids. So they're just absolutely, yeah, yeah, I've had some some pretty crazy parents over my time I, as a skater. I can imagine. Come on, give us some stories. I um I think as a I think it's as you get better as well, the higher up you get, the more they feel you become more of a marked person. Exactly. So yeah. you, it's I wouldn't say it's a target on your back. It's not that severe, but people definitely make comments. So with figure skating a lot of it's like weight. Mm. Um 
So I'll walk into the ring one day and I'll be like, oh, you look very thin. Have you been eating? Mm. Have you got an eating disorder? And you're like, mm, okay, I'm, I think I was like 15 or 16 at the time. Um, and then the next day you'll walk in and they'll be like, oh, you're not landing your jumps. You've put on a kilo. And you're like, it's a kilo. Um, but my parents used to, yeah, I, I developed a pretty thick skin. Mm. Um, so this wasn't just the parents. The coaches would also make the comments. Yep. Um, I don't know how appropriate it is for radio. Feel free <laughs> to cut this out. But <laughs> um, yeah, my my whenever my coaches used to make comments about weight, my parents always used to say, just like, no, I just need to go to the toilet. I'll be fine. Give me like five minutes. I just need a need a poo and yeah. I'll be good to go. So they they got me to <laughs> feel free to cut it. Off. <laughs> um, hey, but, look, this is you know raw radio. <laughs> it is, but yeah. So my parents, it was just little things like that that they really helped instill in me, like just. Thick yeah. skin, really. Yeah. It's, it's, look, it's good to hear all the less glamorous aspects of figure skating. So <laughs> thank you for sharing. Um, your Russian coaches, I mean, again, like a, for a five-year-old kid, they, most, most people at the age of five would barely have heard of Russia, let alone have met a Russian or be able to point to Russia on a map. Um, these Russian coaches, again, forgive me if I'm making assumptions here, but they were they your classic kind of stereotypical you know, Eastern Bloc, very intense, serious, you know, no place for humour. You know, you're here to skate. You're yes. here to be the best. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I How had, long were you with them for then? I was with Valentin and Irina for about 10 years. Yeah. Um, and then I moved over to Sydney uh, in oh, 2011 or 12. And the remainder of my time was with Valentin, uh, sorry, Galina and Andre Passion, um, both classic Russians. Mm. Um what is it about Russians and figure skating? It's just that it's their national sport. So why not come to Australia and yeah. teach teach us that, their ways? But yeah, you couldn't tell if they were um, talking or yelling at you. <laughs> um, I learned very quickly what swear words were in Russian. Um, yeah. You, yeah, they were very charismatic. Yeah. Um, they, yeah, they were just very loud. Um, you could hear them wherever you were in the ice rink. Yeah. And whether it's saying like, that's my girl, you nailed it, or if it was just them yelling at you because you skated badly that session, yeah. you couldn't really tell the difference. If you yeah. didn't understand the Russian accent and if you hadn't heard it before, you had no idea what was happening. <laughs> was it a bit of a love-hate relationship you had with them? Yes. Were they sort of, you know, they were the ones you were trying to please most, but also the ones who were really hammering you and putting you through hell? Yeah, so um, especially... Um, Galina was terrifying. So she was sort of that calm Russian. So she would stare at you and you'd be like, oh, no, I've What's messed she up. She's going to kill me in my sleep sort of thing. But she was just terrifying. Um, but one of the best mentors I've ever had. Yeah. Um, and then on the flip side, her husband, Andre, was, yeah, I would yell at him. He would yell back. It would go back and forth and then we'd get off the ice. And he'd be like, great session. I'll see you tonight. And it's just... It's a wild relationship, wild yeah. ride every session. I can imagine. Um, you're keen to hear more about your move to, to Sydney too because you were still, again, quite young yes. when that happened, right? Yeah, so I was going into year 12. Right. Um, great time to move. Yeah. And I basically needed to decide where my career was going. Um, my mum's partner had got a job over there and so I just kind of made the move. Mm. Um, at that point, he hadn't moved over yet. So I was couch surfing for probably the first six months. I was getting, I did distance ed 
distance education. So my schoolwork was getting sent to the ice rink. Mm. I was at the ice rink probably like 5 a.m. till about 11 p.m. every day. Um, So I just basically lived there at that point and was just couch surfing um, between houses. Yeah. Just to kind of make ends meet so I could train twice a day. At that point, I was there at the ice rink for that long. So that's that's some dedication. Yeah, yeah. I, I found some pretty good napping spots as well around the rink. So I can it was imagine. good. Yeah. yeah, not the most comfortable of places to nap, though, I imagine. <laughs> kind of no, cold, it's, hard. It was a little bit cold. Slightly damp places. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Jamie Nobbs is our special guest. This is Inspiring Stories. We'll be back with more very soon. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. We are hearing the inspiring story, the fascinating story of figure skating champion Jamie Nobbs. Uh, Jamie, for most uh, teenagers going into the final years of schooling is a pretty daunting time, even with the most boringly normal of situations. Uh, But for you, uh, you finish year 11 and then the next day you take off by yourself to Sydney to pursue, I suppose, a balance of schooling and and figure skating. were you aware at the time of just, you know, how daunting that would be? I mean, that's it's enough to, you know, overwhelm most teenagers. I think at the level I was at, a lot of athletes actually decide not to continue with their schooling. Yeah. So they'll stop. Um, for me, it was a non-negotiable from a kid. My parents were like, you're getting an education. Yep. Um, what were you like as a student, by the way? I was a nerd. Yeah. Um, so you managed to get it done in the limited amount of time you had at school? I knew that if I didn't get good grades, if I wasn't performing at school, yep. there was a chance that that could take away time from skating. So yep. it was... You just got it done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Time management with skating yep. just it became normal. And yep. it's something that I still use today. Yep. Um, but yeah, it was, I mean, it was a little bit daunting. I like, yeah, I had my schoolwork delivered to the ice rink. Um, I was couch surfing at the time. So I just had a suitcase um, was just living on friends' couches that I'd met uh, at That's crazy. While you're also going into the final year of school. Yeah. Um, so that was also two years out from Sochi as well. So at that point it was like, I want to do everything I can to possibly make it to this Olympics. Yeah. So that just meant making it work, making ends meet. Um, my income was coming from like babysitting at the rink because I was there that many hours that coaches with kids were like, there you go, Jamie, handball the kids over to me for a couple hours. Um but yeah, I mean, I just made it work, and then what a what a life though! What an experience! It's an experience. Um, <laughs> probably wouldn't recommend it, but yeah. So that was I was doing four units of Year Twelve by distance ed, and then my final two units I did at Presbyterian Ladies College over in Sydney. Yeah. Um, they weren't far away from the rink at that point. I had my license. I would just drive to school, do my couple units, and then go back to training. So they were. Amazing. That's an, again, I keep using the word intense, but that's a, that's an intense way to live your life at any stage, let alone when you're in your mid teens. I see it now and I'm like, how did I do that? Did There's you, not enough hours in the day. No. Did you have any time for fun? That was ice skating. That was ice skating. So you were still loving the sport then? Yeah. It hadn't been sort of drilled out of you by then? No. 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 Um, at that point it was very close to Sochi. So I was yeah. too young. The drive for the, was there. Yeah. I was yeah. too young for the Vancouver. Olympics which I think were the ones before 
um, Winter Olympics. But yeah, so Sochi was kind of the the end goal at that point. So yeah, hmm. um, being over there and you know being at that at that time, you, you're supposed to be, I suppose, approaching your peak. Yeah. Then were you starting to think about a a plan B, what you would do in your life outside of ice skating? Was that starting to enter your mind then? I think when you're finishing year twelve university, I mean this isn't for everyone. For me, university was like, I wanted to go, I wanted to get a degree. I wanted to get a, a normal job. Um, like nine to five wasn't 5am till 11pm sort of job. Um, but yeah, I, it was a non-negotiable that I was going to go through to uni at that point. So yeah. yeah. And how were you holding up physically at that point? I mean, as we said before, you, you have this outward appearance at least of make it look effortless and you're so elegant and you know, you've, your, your hair's all perfect and your makeup's done and you're wearing this, you know, shiny outfit. Um, obviously underneath, you know, you're, you're working yourself to, you've got nothing left uh, to execute these, these moves and everything. But this, the stress it puts on you physically, how are you holding up at that point? Um, at that point I was okay. Yeah. The next couple of years, my body kind of just deteriorated. Um, and that's quite normal, is it? I mean, because then I suppose that says a lot about the demands that you do put on your body in that sport. I was very lucky that I didn't end up having surgery when I stopped. Yeah. Um, I made that choice when I stopped, but I have friends that have had several hip surgeries and a hip yeah. replacement. What is it, and that's the sort of classic procedure you get back, from a career yes. in, in figure skating? Yeah. Back and hips. Back, hips. Um, I mean, it depends on the type of figure skating you do. Yeah. So if you're doing something like pair skating, um, the girls getting thrown around, they're doing lifts, they're doing, there's something called a death spiral where their heads, <laughs> it's in the name. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, I don't think anyone's ever died from it. Um, oh, that's good. I'm imagining like, what is it called? The flying lotus or the iron lotus? Oh, yeah. It's not like that. But the guy basically pivots around on a blade and holds, extends his arm out and holds the girl up above the ice. She's basically contorting her ankle so that the Sounds blade stays like on the, the ice and her head's a couple centimetres away. So the closer to the ice, as many rotations as you can hold, that's where you start to get the points. Wow. Um, so for them, their shoulders give way. Dislocated yep. shoulders is very common there. Uh, but for figure skaters, it's like ankles, back, hips. Yep. Yeah, they're the yep. common ones. Yeah. That's, um, that, that's a lot of stress on a young body then. Yeah. I, mm. um, I think one of my worst injuries on the ice was I was in Turkey. Um, so I took off for a jump. And where you're meant to be straight in the air... I was completely diagonal, taking off, and just ended up landing in the splits. Um, and my back just completely jammed up. So from that point, I think I was on like tramadol just to get me home. I ended up on a flight with my feet raised above my head. I don't think you can lie on the floor anymore in planes. At that point, <laughs> I was, because it was the only way to get me home. Um, but yeah, that was one of the worst injuries, and that's still probably something that carries on. I've probably got like the back of an eighty-year-old now. Right. But yeah, that's... All, all worth it though. Yes and no. Um, if it's a cold morning, probably not mm. now. But yeah, I mean, I did love it. It took me about a year to recover from that one properly. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I eventually stopped skating. It did come to a point where I was like coming to walk towards the end of my uni degree as well. Mm. Um, and I guess I was, yeah, again, starting to consider that plan B. Mm. Um, but my feet, I'd partially torn the plantar fascia under both of my feet. Oh, good. So where your arch, how your arch would normally sit, 
imagine it flipped and that was about the swelling that was under both of my feet. So oh, I'd get on the oh. ice for about 15 minutes, do a couple laps, try a couple jumps and would be in that much pain. I'd get off. My feet would have swollen up and it would take about three days for him to actually go back to a normal size so I could get my foot back in the boot. Wow. And at that point, you can't train like that. Yeah, your body's telling you. Yeah. Yeah, So that was time. That was 2015. Yeah. I missed out on the 2014 Olympics. So I made the shadow team, which is like mm-hmm. the final four, but with figure skating, only one goes. Yeah. Um, how do you cope with that after putting so much of your life into it? How do you, how do you digest all that? Time, I yeah. think. Um, with figure skating, you're, a lot of athletes go overseas. The resources are over there. The coaches are over there. The facilities, everything you need is over there. But to uproot your life and go and spend time and money and effort in America, is that is life-changing for me. That was the jump from Perth to Sydney. A lot of athletes mm. at Sydney to America or Russia or mm. wherever it is. So, yeah, it took a lot of time. I... I wish I'd gone, but mm. the girl that did actually go was an Australian um, who'd never actually been to Australia. So I'd, I'd met her like once in a tournament before. She was an American girl. She was the best one on the day. She was the one. If you're going to send someone to the Olympics, you want someone that can qualify more spots for Australia. Yeah. And as much as it sucks that it wasn't me, I think for Australian athletes, it then paved the way for us to get more spots for more competitions and get a greater presence over there. So it it worked out well for the sport. But for me, it was just like, took a bit of time to realize that. I I bet. And in 2015, it was like my feet had given up. I'd kind of come towards the end of my degree and I was like, okay, time to step away. Time to start the next chapter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We'll go to a break. But after that, I want to hear about how you did transition out because I know that can be a a really difficult stage for anyone coming out of that elite level sport and reintegrating into the real world as it, as it were. So, um, yeah, keen to hear your perspective on that. This is Inspiring Stories. Jamie Nobbs is our special guest. We'll be back with more in a moment. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR. Brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Because the little things are everything. Welcome back to WA's Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest is Jamie Nobbs. Uh, We're learning all about the crazy world of figure skating uh, in this episode, which has been fascinating. But uh, Jamie, it had to come to an end at some point. It sounds like it came to a fairly natural end you were finishing uni your body was starting to give you a pretty clear sign that it had had enough um having said that giving up the structure that you'd also um loved for so many years um was that a difficult thing for you to do yes um i mean it slowly kind of wound down naturally with how long it took me to recover each session so i I went from training twice a day Mm. to having to only be able to train once every couple of days and then it just yeah which is not feasible I suppose to keep yourself at that level no so it just kind of dwindled down yeah to a point where I just stopped going yeah do you get on the ice now still or have you had a complete break so I I was coaching I I moved back to Perth I I love Perth it's yeah like I said like you said born and bred yeah um and I actually decided to step back into coaching 
and I had some absolutely great skaters, but I had a little 12-year-old at the time called um, Mia Brooks and she used to challenge me. So I would say, go do this. And she would say, like, back when you could skate. And so that just... Ouch. Yeah, exactly. Um, And so I would get on and I would try the tricks that, like, I used to do every day, day in, day out. You you channeled your inner intense Russian. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, And so I, I went out and did it. And I would, again, you'd show the smile and you're like, yep, I did that. And then the next three days you'd be like, oh, why did I do that? I'm so sore. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I'd get on the ice just when the little kids used to just challenge me. Yeah. Um, that was pretty much it. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it was nice because I got to catch up with friends, but it was very social when I'd get on. Mm. And that was up until I stopped coaching at the beginning of this year. And yeah, I finally kind of stepped away completely from the sports, not to say I might go back into judging or something later on, but yeah, yeah, I haven't do, been back this year. Do you still get that, um, you know, that, that flutter in the heart when you pull the, the skates on and, and get back out there? Do you still love it like you did as a, a little kid I on love, a very basic level? Yeah, I love it. I um, I probably don't go as fast no, just because that's probably sensible. The, the old legs don't go as fast. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's still, I think, Muscle memory comes back very quickly. So it's something I love getting on and trying all the same tricks and stuff like that. So (laughs) it's still, I do love it, but yeah. yeah. Um, Feel free to uh, to deflect this question away, but some of the the coaching techniques that you experienced as a kid, you know, even, I mean, it's not that long ago because you're only 25 now, but would you get away with that stuff now? Does it still happen? It still happens, absolutely. Mm. Um, I mean, the, the coaching structure of some coaches it's not all coaches there are some incredible coaches but their coaching structure of some coaches is I mean probably not approved like it's a bit questionable sometimes but I mean a lot of coaches yell at their athletes I think it's something that's becoming increasingly prominent in documentaries like athlete a and stuff where like the lines are actually drawn to say like this is appropriate this isn't um but I being yelled at as a skater I did not ever want to be that as a coach. So Mm. it was very rare for me to yell. Um, But my coach, Galena, was, like I said, absolutely terrifyingly quiet. Um, I think I I took that. (laughs) I think I took that from her. So she had a way of explaining the technique and Russians are incredible for explaining the technique um, and just driving that into skaters so it becomes second nature. Um, So she taught me that. All of my coaches taught me that. But her, the way she approached it and her calmness and when she was angry, how she approached it, I learned a lot as a coach from her. Mm. So that's probably what I drew from having coaches. I knew that yelling didn't bring out the best in people. Mm. Um, being angry didn't bring out the best in pe- people. Um, so like how I communicate with people is something that has developed since becoming a coach. And yeah. 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 Um, in, in terms of the challenges of, of finishing up a career and, you know, transitioning into the, the other world that most of us uh, occupy. Um, It's something you had to go through, but people from all kinds of elite sports have to go through. Was there someone who helped you, who'd been through it, who gave you some really wise advice to help you get through that? Or did you have to work it all out for yourself? I worked it out for myself. Yeah. Was Um, Was that hard? Yeah. It, I mean, I was lucky in that I had coaching to kind of, fall back on, I guess, because mm. um, that meant like one foot stepped out while I coached and then kind of finally took myself away from the sport. But 
I mean, when you give 20 years, you're working twice a day for several hours a day. It becomes your life. Um, you work towards one dream. That That is everything you want to become. Yeah. When you step away from the sport and someone asks you, like, what do you do? It's something as simple as that. You can't now say, like, I'm a figure skater. You actually have to say, like... I'm this, I'm that. Exactly. And it's really hard to not define yourself by your sport or your job. And I think a lot of people do it now naturally. It's like, um, hi, Tim, what do you do? Mm. And you would find it really hard to respond with like something that's outside of your work. Mm. It's, I think it's natural for a lot of people to just take up an identity that is their work. And for me, it was, I am a figure skater. So stepping away was really hard. I didn't really have Mm. a lot of resources. And I guess I then... At the start of this year, with COVID happening and everything, I had a little bit more like mental space and that was when I started my podcast. So yep. so What's Next talks about athletes transitioning out of sport. Yeah. Yeah. And hearing those stories, is it kind of a therapy for you as well? Yeah. Um, so for me, it was, I, I started it because I just wanted to talk to athletes. I didn't really care who listened to it. It was something that I wanted to do for myself. And then I realized that, hold up other athletes will be going through this. And a lot of the very top end athletes have a lot of support, a lot of funding. They have job opportunities lined up. But if you're not the best in the world, you probably don't have that same support. Mm. And so this was just kind of like an accessible way for everyone, no matter how much time or energy they put into a sport, even if they're going from one work career to another, just looking at like what you can actually learn Mm. in your life of sport and then transitioning out. And so I hate to ask this question, but... So what's next for you? <laughs> so that's, um, for anyone who hasn't listened, that's the last question I ask everyone and everyone right. is always stumped in the podcast. <laughs> um, I mean, for me, I'm working in a job I love. I'm working in marketing um, at a company down the road from where we're interviewing today. Um, but we're looking at how like mapping technology can basically change the world. So if it's stuff like illegal deforestation or something as simple as Uber, where you can Mm. track people on a map just to get them from A to B. Um, I think the work they're they're doing is great. It's called NGIS. Um, But yeah, I mean, that aspect of the work, the marketing side, I absolutely love it. The podcast, it's something that I'd never imagined I would be sitting here talking. I think the amount of exposure it's got and the amount of people that have reached out to me and said, this is actually very similar to what I experienced. I just hope to keep exploring Mm. these different journeys from athletes and hopefully talk to more athletes and start to hear from people that are actually transitioning out how it's helped them. And final question, Blades of Glory. Completely accurate, yeah. (laughs) Are you more of a Blades of Glory person or an I, Tonya? The story of Nancy Kerrigan oh, and Tonya Harding. <laughs> Two I, very different perspectives on the world of ice skating. Which one do you most relate to? I think I, Tonya actually is a little bit more factually correct <laughs> yeah, than Blaze of Glory. Right. I, I think from my perspective, I think I, Tonya, just because I'm a mad Margot Robbie fan. Yes. But, um, <laughs> Chaz yeah, Michael think, Michaels also had his chance too. <laughs> exactly. It's, uh, I mean, I can't pick between the two. I think any exposure to ice skating, good or bad, in movies, I'm all for it. So Absolutely. Yeah. And if you can have a laugh along the way, then even better. Exactly. Blade <laughs> escape from reality. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, Jamie, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your story. It's been fascinating. It's and my pleasure. All the best with your next chapter. Thank how you it may unfold. So thank you again for coming in.
Thank you very much. You've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another WA inspiring story. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com.